This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Today's entrepreneur wants to get you your money back. Unlike other consumer finance companies out there that are just giving you advice, we're actually doing the work. Paul Kesserwani is here raising money for his company, Cushion, a bot that fights bank and credit card fees for you. And that might sound simple, but Paul says he's using machine learning to train his bot so that it's better than anything else out there. Can he prove to investors that he's got something special on his hands? Here's who Paul will have to convince. Phil Nadeau. As a serial entrepreneur, Phil built companies that sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now he manages one of the largest syndicates on AngelList. Jillian Mattis. Jillian is a partner at Structure Capital, where they've invested 98 million so far in high-profile startups like Uber. Howie Diamond. Howie is our rock star investor. No, really, he was in a band. And since changing gigs, Howie's invested in over 50 startups. Michael Hyatt. Michael built and sold two software companies for over $500 million. And now he invests for himself. I'm Josh Muccio, and from Gimlet Media, this is The Pitch. Hey everyone, my name is Paul Kesarwani, and I'm the founder of Cushion. And I'd like to start things off today by laying out a little scenario for you. You have $500 worth of bills due at the end of the week. Your bank account only has $300 in it, and your paycheck is still 10 days out. What do you do? Call my well, parents. You call your parents is a good option, but if they're not down to give you the money, you could just overdraft the account. But that's going to end up with some very costly overdraft fees. These are the kinds of questions being faced by like millions of Americans every single year. And when they make a wrong decision, costly fees can start piling up, and it could take months or even years to get back on track. And this is the problem we're solving at Cushion. Our technology understands the nuances of your bank accounts, your cash flows, and what you need to do next. And when we figure out the right steps to take, Cushion does them for you automatically. And that's our special sauce. Unlike other consumer finance companies out there that are just giving you advice, we're actually doing the work. For example, our first product negotiates with banks on your behalf to get back money wasted on fees and credit card interest automatically. So I'm here today raising $2.3 million to grow Cushion by adding support for more banks and building out our next set of products. And I think the best way to kind of showcase what we built is to show you the actual product and then obviously answer any questions you have along the way. Great. Paul walks over to the investors, pulls out his phone, and opens the Facebook Messenger app. So this is currently designed as a Facebook Messenger bot, which I would not get too hung up on. This was just to get ourselves up and running as fast as possible. But essentially, we've built a little bot called Fee Fighter. It's very adorable. And its full-time <laughs> job is to you know, negotiate with the banks to get your money back. Fee Fighter. Oh and um, he's pro- I think people like our bot more than they actually like the fact that they're getting money back, which yeah, is pretty adorable. Yeah, but it has personality, and I think that's important. It has personality. Because people have to trust it. I can say emphatically, Fee Fighter is pretty cute. It's a little white cartoon robot. 
Its head kind of looks like a fluffy marshmallow, and it has big blue button eyes and a friendly robot smile. It kind of reminds me of Rosie from the Jetsons. So yeah. take us through it. What does it do? So the process from a user perspective is very simple. You select the bank that you have. We currently only support three banks, Chase, American Express, and Wells Fargo. Within a minute, the robot connects to your bank. It then analyzes your account and shows you a summary of your fees, interest charges, ATM fees, wire transfers. I've been charged a fee for a bank wire. Yes. Okay. Now, how do you fight it? So now this is the bot tells you, okay, there's two wire fees. I'd like to fight them for you. So I'm just going to head this. I don't know if you can see the fight my fees button. This is the only action the user has to take. Okay. Okay. Fight my fee. So I press the button. And what's going to happen here is if you have multiple fees, it's going to run an algorithm to find out what's the, the grouping that I should go after first. It's not going to, if you have 47 fees, it's not going to go after all of so them. So how does once. it go after that fee? So actually think about it. If you have, if you need something from the bank, there's a few different ways to approach them. You can show up obviously at the branch and talk to somebody. You can call them on the phone. You can send a secure email, or you can do an online chat. We've automated the secure email in the online chat. The bot's going to generate a message that's completely tailored to my situation with the bank. So for example, with these two wire transfer fees, it's going to say something like, hi there, Wells Fargo support. Um, I'd like some help with these two wire fees from you know June 4th and June 6th. As you can see, I actually have four accounts with you. Um, one is carrying a very high balance, and I've been paying my bills on time. I'd really appreciate you returning this money. You customize it to that degree. Yeah, yeah. It knows everything about like your account history, how long well, you've been a say, customer. Well, let's say, you know, in your example, I don't have a high balance, and I've only had the accounts for a few months. You'll come up sure. with other yes. good yes. justifications for Absolutely. waiving the fees. So why yes. I love that. What's a classic example of you getting money back for me? Yeah, so one of the easiest is ATM fees. We'll basically say, I have all these, I've been hit with like seven ATM fees for, I don't know, $20. Um, I've been with you for a while now. I have a couple of accounts. I'd really appreciate you crediting this back. And why would they say yes? They say yes because they don't want to lose you. Success rate. How many times do they say yes? Sure. Yeah. 80% of the folks who we fought fees for have gotten money back in some capacity. For every dollar that we're fighting, we're getting 30 cents back right now. But we're being very aggressive because we're trying to train the model and figure out what works and what doesn't. For each fee that Fee Fighter fights, it learns. And that's what Paul means when he says that they're training the model, which also means that the bot has to decide what to do when a bank denies a refund request. Does it escalate to another level? Can can you phone or like what happens? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. If the bank pushes back, we have a score internally that says, you know what, I'm pretty sure I should have gotten some money back. Do we want to push back here? And if it does, it'll then push back with another message mm -hmm. saying, you know, I'm choosing to, to like bank with you. I have all these accounts. I highly recommend that you give me some of this money back. If you have 47 fees, which by the way is a very common case with our user base, the bot's not going to go out and fight all 47 at once across three accounts. It's going to choose a cluster, say, I'm going to start with your credit card fees, get these back for you. Comes back and says, listen, I'm going to wait a couple of weeks. I don't want to slam the bank. We'll, I'll come back and let you know when is the right time to reapproach them and then how do you know when the right time is? How do you know what that timing well, piece is? Um, that's something that we initially, we'd done so much of this manually that we kind of figured that out. But now we have a machine learning algorithm that the bot's just teaching itself. So what we're doing is we're using both data science and automation to find out, is there an opportunity to help the, the user out? And then using our automation to actually do the work for them, which is usually the thing that stops somebody from actually moving forward. You can give somebody a financial plan, but they're like, oh, I'm busy, I'm working two jobs, I have to pick up my kids. How big is your client base right now? Yeah, so we kicked off our private beta in January. We've built up a wait list of over 16,000 people. We've onboarded 3,000 users. For those 3,000 users, for only three banks, and across only the last three months, $1.2 million in fees that we found. And what how percentage much did you get do you back? 
So we fought $300,000 of them. We've waived 100000 out of the 300000 so How do you, you get say- paid? Sorry, Jillian. Go ahead. How do you get paid? Yeah, so our business model is super simple. Um, we take a 25% cut of the money we're recouping for our customers. So you said you have um, 3000 that you onboarded and you have 16000 on a wait list. Yeah. Why are that those 16000 on a wait list? Great question. Uh, we only support three banks today because we built brand new technology. There's no APIs or out-of-the-box way to like do this. So we're having to do integrations bank by bank. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to... Like obviously support the top 10,000 banks in the country. We're just going to try so to support. Let me, let me ask you 15. something that it struck me about your business. Uh, when, when we look at companies, you ask yourself, are you a platform, which is a big, big thing, like the most successful companies? Are you a product yep. or are you a feature? Sure. Convince us for a second that you're yep. not a feature, mm-hmm. sure. that you're a product and you yep. have somewhere to go. And just to, to make Michael's point also, you know, if this gets super, super successful, yeah. banks could yes. decide, look, we're not ever going to waive fees anymore yes. because this is getting ridiculous. We're going to waive way less. Or, yes. or we'll just really so cut down. You, so yeah. so how you take, take us on a journey of your company. Like, where did, How does this become What's a big, big business? Yeah. How, how does yeah. this not get shut down? What's a- okay, these are a lot of questions. I'm yeah, going to okay. tackle them in an order that hopefully makes sense. Um, the way we're updating the product such that the message comes from the user, this can't get shut down because essentially the banks would be blocking their own customers. Right. That's one. Two is that um, even though the banks... Um, might not love this initially. We're serving a bunch of our users to find out, hey, like, how loyal are you to this bank or credit card? And like, we, and after we get the money back, would you stick with them? And a lot of them are saying, like, yes. Now that I got this three hundred dollars back, I'm probably going to stick around for a while. So as we scale, we can actually show the banks that if you want to potentially work together at some point, we can help you reduce customer support costs and increase retention. At the end of the day, though. We're not building a bank fee fighting company. This is our wedge. This is the first thing we decide to go after because it's a $200 billion market. There's no digital solution because it's so technically challenging to build this. And then after that, we're already working on the next set of features to build this out to be a massive platform. What are what the next, next set? set of features? Sure. So there's a, there's a couple of different categories here. One is found money. This is essentially called like basically found money, right? We fight these bank fees. People never expected to get the money back. Um, and so we've actually uncovered there's $40 billion worth of money sitting around at the state level throughout the U.S. that's unclaimed. We can fully automate that process. No one has ever done that. So that's a $40 billion market after our $200 billion market that we're going after now. If you're like me, and this sounds unbelievable that there's money possibly just sitting around somewhere with your name on it, it's true. Unclaimed assets is basically your money, but the government is holding on to it because they couldn't find you to give it to you. Undelivered tax refunds, for example, is a big one. Do you have the unclaimed assets uh, functionality already working? No, we have part of it. We're trying to get it in the hands of users Mm half-baked and then see if it works. That's one piece. The next side of it is a lot of folks are using the wrong bank accounts and credit cards, and it's so clear from the data that we found. Hmm. People, so... This, is, this blew my mind. We had a customer who came on board. We waived $75 worth of monthly service charges for him. He emailed me saying, Paul, I love this service. I just signed up and got money back. Why am I getting charged these penalties? Mm-hmm. And I, was, I told him, I was like, John, um, you're, you signed up for a premium Chase account. requires a minimum 15K uh, balance to not get hit these charges. Your average balance per month is $600. Why are you using this? So it's more than just trying to get back fees. You can look at my entirety from credit cards to where I bank to what I pay on everything. Yeah, I'm in a company called Albert. That's a personal financial mentor. Yeah, um, and, guys, and, yeah. yeah, they're great. Yeah, so there, there are lots and, of companies that help you get the best credit card. Yeah, yes. right. but, but, there's, but the thing about Albert that I liked and that why I invested is because yeah. it's transactional. 
then why couldn't Albert do this? They, why can't any of these guys? They, they can't. Can't. No, they can't. See, that's why? my They cannot worry. take actions within the user's account. Well, yeah. not yet. Yeah, but I mean, th- why? Go for it. I mean, this is something that, like, we just, it took 18 months to get here. Sorry, go for it, Julie. Anyone trying to say something? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm out. And I, it's just because I think it's too early for me to okay. really understand how this is going to scale. I see that it is, but I am not really quite sure that I'm committed to this first product enough to feel comfortable. Okay. That's, that's completely fair feedback. Ooh, that was tense. I'm not sure I've taken a breath in a while. Okay, breathe in and out. Let's take a break. When we return, Paul battles back. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies that fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. Before Jillian passed on Cushion, the investors were digging in, hoping to find out what makes Paul's startup different from the competition. So he gets in the weeds to explain. Most folks today, if they want to start a fintech company, a consumer finance company, they connect to Plaid, or Plaid, which is a very popular data aggregator. They get read-only access to people's bank accounts. They cannot take any actions within their accounts. We went a completely different route right off the bat. We partnered with a different aggregator, set up this partnership with a security company, and built all the security infrastructure. It took us 18 months to get our beta out. And that is why we're able to take actions on their behalf and because you're using a different aggregator other than Plaid? And we built up all this infrastructure. Like, for example, the, what the concept is kind of crazy. The fact that you can put your bank credentials into Cushion, we never touch or see them, but our bot is able to log into your account and talk to the bank. That It's pretty much auto-magical at that point. What's the MMR right now, the monthly? We haven't started charging. Okay. When you start charging, uh, how do you think customers will react? Um, even though they'll see this as like getting their fees waived, getting the, a refund, when they have to pay 25% to you, how do you think they'll react to So that? there are a couple of things there. One is this is free money. This is money they never expected to see again. So they're not paying for the product out of pocket. We're actually paying ourselves as yes. we get the money back. Two is we've been polling our users and asking them and calling them saying, how would you feel if we start charging? Some said, no problem. I never thought I'd see this again. Others said, can you make it easier for me to drop that down from 25% to something less? So they're asking for like incentives there. I'm just trying to understand the existential risk I'm worried about for the company is that you'll ultimately get pushback from the banks who will say, you know, we're not going to work with these, with this company anymore. We're not going to allow this kind of, and maybe they can't figure out if it is automated or not. I don't know, but let's say they do. I just want to hear from you. What do you think the reason is that they would, would not push back like that? 
if they'd like to push back, they can. But the same way you can give a broker authorization to make trades on your ha- on your behalf or a finance manager authorization to move money around for you, you can give authorization to a company to do this for you. But I don't plan on being in this bank fees product for the whole company. This is just our wedge that's working very, very well for us. And as we add up more services, we'll be less dependent on this. And I promise you, we're going to be able to help the banks like really retain a bunch of customers through the service. So tell us a bit about the 2.3 million. It's a very specific number that yeah. you're raising. It is a specific number. I'm trying to get 18 months worth of runway for us. Okay. This is a very tech heavy play and we just we need engineers. And where are you based? San Francisco. So take us through your raises so far and Yeah, absolutely. So we raised a million dollars kind of angel and pre-seed almost like 14 months ago. Mm-hmm. Who le- uh, who led that, Eddie? Um, so a four capital, they're the largest pre-seed fund. We had the co-founder of Nerd Wallet and the co-founder of Funding Circle came in very early on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have angel investors who are security expert from LifeLock and Symantec. That's great. And I mean, I Mike, I built up a lot of my reputation at Twitter. That's where I helped scale revenue for the company. Yeah. And that's why half our cap table is angel investors from the Twitter executive team and folks I've worked for. Right now, we don't have a valuation set. We have a ballpark of where we want to be. We're raising a price round, but you're actually the first folks I'm pitching our seed round to. What, what is your ask? 2.3 million. It's probably going to be around 9 or 10 pre-money. Those are San Francisco prices. They are San Francisco yeah. prices. Um, but to be honest, the fact that we have this domain expertise, we have this tech, we have a killer team, um, and we have something, no, we have no competition right now. The investors don't like the price tag Paul just threw out for his company. Everyone knows that in Silicon Valley, prices for everything, housing, burritos, startups, are sky high. And Paul is based there in San Francisco. So though the investors may not be surprised that they're being asked to pay more to own less of his company, that doesn't mean they have to like it. What I struggle with is that I don't really know much about the unit economics. I don't know how well it's going to take off or work. I don't understand the landscape in detail. And you're asking me to pay essentially kind of a 10 million valuation for a company that's pre-launched. So help us bridge that differential between um, you not really being crystal on your product yet, which is okay because you're early, and this valuation, which is what I call a beautiful Silicon Valley sure, um, sure. valuation. So, yeah, I don't not. blame the valley, but it is a bit that's valley. Fair. So I'm going to reiterate a couple of points. One is I'm not going to get too hung up on the actual valuation. I care more about the specific partner at the firm that's leading the round for us. That's the most important thing for me, somebody who, I think that, I think who gets call. that. Um, that's one piece. Two is just based on the unit economics of what we have, where I said we're getting 30 cents back for every dollar um, for every dollar that we fight. We have, we're going to take 25% cut. Just our wait list today, if we were to monetize this, represents a million dollars in revenue. If you were just to like scale this out. And so I'm I'm feeling very good about where we're at. We I could have told you we have 500 users and we've monetized them. I'd much rather tell you we have 3,000, 16,000 banging down the door and we're going to blow this up. Can you talk about you? Yeah. Um, I've spent 10 years kind of de-risking myself to start a company. That's I've wanted to start That's a company a since, I've been, since I've been a, a child. I yeah. grew up in Lebanon, tumultuous environment. My parents were entrepreneurs. They started business after business. So I've known this only a matter of time before I do this. Moved to the U.S., got a computer engineering degree, and knew that, you know what, um, I'm not ready to start a company. I'm just going to dive face first into techs and, tech and startups. Good for you. Um, two IPOs and an acquisition later. Can I, land, I landed at Twitter through that startup acquisition. And that's where I kind of really made a name for myself. What did you do at at Twitter? I founded the revenue operations team, 
help them go from like a $10 million in revenue to over 2.2 within four years. That was my team's entire focus is how do we generate money? How do we scale it? Which countries do we expand into? And by the time I did that, 10, look, 10 years back, I was like, I'm ready. So, so, so I'd like to, like to do a couple of things. Um, I think if I, where I sit in this camp, I sit, I, I'd like to invest. I really like this space. I believe people are going to react really well to getting their money back. It's, it's really interesting. So I think there's something here. Um, I'd like to see the quality of the lead because I want to know if they can really help bring value and structure to this. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be a lemming here. I'm trying to understand um, the market a little better. But I'm so I'm in if I can get comfortable with a lead and comfortable with the valuation after that the show. That's totally fair. Let me just say, I, I really like what you're doing. Firstly, I think, I think you do have a clear vision of what you want this company to become. But, you know, it, it is early, right? And normally, I don't look at pre-revenue sure. companies. I really like this. I, I especially think the automation of it is, and the, and the machine learning that you're putting into it is smart. So I want to invest. I really want to invest. The the valuation sort of range that you're talking about is very high, especially for pre-revenue. Um, so for me, I want to see what valuation you arrive at with the lead investor. I want to see who the lead investor is. If the number's reasonable, the terms are reasonable, and it's a good lead investor, then I'm likely in. Okay, absolutely. Love to have you, and that all makes total sense. Both Phil and Michael are in with conditions. Here's Howie. I'm not super price sensitive. Whether it's six million, whether you're raising at a five million cap or a six million cap or a $10 million cap right now, if I have that conviction, I'm not too concerned. The way that I'm thinking about it as an investor is I'm just doing math in my head. If you got to 100,000 users with this $2.3 million round, conceivably that's 5 million in top line revenue. And so I can sit back and wait 8 to 12 months, see how this develops, see the new implementations, see how the customers are responding, really get some accurate data here and see what the real numbers are. And then I'll pay more. I'll pay double. Especially if you have, you know, 100,000 users and $6 million. Because you can understand the unit economics by that. Exactly. So I think you're doing the right thing. So I'm excited to hear where you go and take a deeper dive. Phil, I'll do that with you and see where this is. I'm going to take back my pass. Wait, what's happening? Jillian's changing her mind? That's a new one for the show. I liked hearing about you. I liked hearing about your path. And usually that's the one question I ask, and that's usually the first question I ask, and shaming me for not. Probably should have started with that. Well, actually, I should have been mindful enough to to ask that because because we are really investing in you, and I like your journey here. And obviously, I like the fact that you've built this at Twitter. I mean, that speaks volumes to me. Um, I'm going to hop on the bandwagon if this makes sense of me being an investor and adding uh, value, which you may at the very end say, you know what, Jillian is not the right type of investor. She passed me at first, so, you know, stuff her. No harm, uh, no foul. But, uh, Don't think but, anything personally. Yeah, but that's okay. Um, but I would like to see the lead. So I'm going to hop on the fill on the mic, and maybe it's even the Howie wagon, which is I'm not going to pass because I've learned so much more, and I've learned that you don't pass prematurely um, when some of the key parts, which was your background, um, had been omitted. Okay. Well, listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. Thanks for coming in. I think thank you did a great job. Thank you all very much. Thanks. Great job. <laughs> thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Take care. See you. Take care. Um. Great guy. 
Yeah. yeah he, I like that. He, has, he does have a vision you know, for this. There's a, you know, you remember where that, well, Wells Fargo had that big problem of oh, uh, people, uh, yeah. uh, Given, you know, suggesting bank accounts people shouldn't have. It's an interesting thing. Bank, and uh, Phil's thing about trust, like uh, the banks, if you become an enemy of the state to the banks... I like the unclaimed assets. I mean, I'm a little worried about that. Well, I like the unclaimed. I like the credit card <laughs> switching. I like all of it. Listen, I need. I, I'm going to look. Well. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce him to a couple of banks uh, in yeah. New York that I that I work with. Yes. Uh, and I'm just going to have a very cut and dry. Like, yes. what do you think of this? And they'll open it up and they'll tell me. Yes. Um, and you'll do the same. We'll yes. share due diligence. Yeah. I, I always find that with with entrepreneurs, when I leave here, if I actually introduce them to potential clients, potential partners, I I really hear the brass tacks of yeah. the essence yes. of what's really going to go on. Yes. But th- look, this is a potential winner. I think he is a winner. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'm going to take a look and see if the product is the winner mm. as well. Paul leaves with investments from Phil, Michael, and Jillian but they're all conditional on him finding a lead investor. When we come back, Paul tries to do just that. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. When I caught up with Paul a few months after his pitch, I wanted to start by revisiting one of the moments that stuck out to me. And that's when the investors were really pushing you to try and figure out, they wanted to understand like why a competitor, someone with a bunch of customers already, wouldn't be able to just replicate what you've done. And you got pretty passionate in response. Um, Let me play you the tape. Okay. Then why couldn't Albert do this? They, why can't Albert? They, they, they cannot. Could. No, they can't. See, that's why? my worry. They cannot worry. take actions within the user's account. Well, not yet. Yeah, but I mean, th- why? Go for it. I mean, this is something that, like, we just. It took eighteen months to get here. Yeah, I didn't realize I got that defensive in the moment. Very interesting hearing <laughs> that replay. What can you describe that moment and like what you were feeling when you responded like that? Um. Doing what we've done has been very, very difficult. It would have been very easy for us to take the path of a lot of other fintechs where we find some easy-to-build feature and you know connect to Plaid and just kind of get something out in the market. And instead, we took the much, much more difficult path on purpose. So we would have this technology and data moat. And so I think when um, the investors were making statements that, oh, yeah, anybody can copy this, when that was so far from the truth... Um, I think I definitely got a little bit defensive because I've been putting, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into this now for close to two years, and I know how hard it is. Uh, so it was a combination of technology, but also domain expertise. Like I've done so many fee negotiations for friends, family, early users, that that's something nobody can really replicate. No matter how much technology or money you have, you'd have somebody would have to spend time learning what I've learned um, in this area. So 
it's a bummer I got a little defensive there, but at the same time, I wanted to get the point across that this is not easy to replicate. And that's why two companies tried to do this and failed because they tried to build it as a feature. And so, um, yeah. Totally. So then what happened after you left the room? All of their commitments to invest were contingent on you finding a lead investor. Have you found a lead? So we're negotiating terms with one potential lead right now, and we're talking to a couple of other lead uh, funds. So at this point, we have over half the round committed from folks who want to participate. Like I said, I'm um, negotiating with one potential lead right now, but also talking to a few other lead funds. And once that's done, the rest of the round should flow pretty quickly from there. Well, that's great that you've got half the round committed. You mentioned following up with the investors. Have you followed up with, with all of them? Michael... I had a chat with Michael shortly after the pitch. He introduced us to a fund in Canada, which is very thankful that he did, the great, the great VC fund. They ultimately ended up passing because they don't love this space. But I'm very thankful that Michael took the time to do that. And then Jillian has been very busy doing a lot of traveling. So we've exchanged a couple of emails. I told her we have some commitments in the round and that we're still working on a lead. The most exchanges I've done have been with Phil. He had. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Yeah, he had a lot of questions about <laughs> unclaimed money. Um, it started to feel like it was my s- s- full-time job uh, answering some of these questions. But um, I, I very much appreciate how diligent he was. And he asked some very, very good questions. And I appreciated his feedback. He also told me to put aside an allocation for um, his syndicate pending a lead. They wanted to make sure that there's at least a certain amount lo- um, allocated for him and his fund, which is great. So it's all hinging on getting a lead, working on it, work in progress. Yeah, Phil's uh, email game is unparalleled. Yeah, next level. So there's another moment in the pitch that is a real standout. When Jillian went out very early in your pitch, and then at the very end, she came back in, like literally as you're saying goodbye to the other investors, they'd all decided, and you're walking out the door, and she's like, you know what? I retract my pass. I want to invest. Like, first, like, how did you feel when she passed early? Um, I was a little bit surprised and felt it was premature, but I didn't really let that phase me at all. I I knew that one thing Jillian really is all about is backing good founders, people with solid backgrounds, people who are very hungry and tenacious. And as we got in, like further and further into the pitch, I realized I hadn't spoken about myself, my background, and what have I accomplished before starting Cushion. And I had a feeling that once we got to that, if I did a good job answering the rest of the questions uh, for the investors, and then once I got to that, I had a feeling that she would reconsider. And so once uh, Michael said he's potentially in, and then Phil said he's potentially in, um, it was great to hear that Jillian wanted to give this a chance and said, okay, I'm in as well. And it was a really exciting moment. What was it that flipped the switch for her? Was it when you mentioned your background at Twitter? Um, combination of my background at Twitter, the fact that both of my parents have, you know, are entrepreneurs, founded multiple uh, companies, that I grew up in a pretty tumultuous environment in Lebanon, and just a combination of things. Like I'm kind of, I truly feel like I'm built for this. This is what I'm designed to do, and that came off towards the end of the pitch once I answered all the questions and also uh, just conveyed what I've done the last ten years before starting this company. Yeah, you've been preparing for this moment your entire life. That's what it feels like. I feel like I'm using every every skill I've learned along the way to get this company off the ground. So, Seems like Paul is almost there. 
so close. And even though he couldn't quite get over the hump in the pitch room, things really could turn around when he gets that lead investor. Come on, Paul, you can do it. As you may have heard already, we're taking our show on the road. Come see three companies pitch our investors live at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia on Tuesday, November 27th. It will be free to attend, so keep an eye on our Twitter feed for more details or subscribe to our newsletter at thepitch.show slash newsletter. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh Muccio. See you next week. Our show is produced by me, Kareem Maddox, and Molly Donahue. We are edited by Blythe Durrell. We're mixed by Enoch Kim, original music composed by The Musemaker. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Lisa Muccio planned the recording of this pitch, and we found Cushion because Paul applied to be on the show. So if you're thinking about submitting an application, do it. Do it now at thepitch.show slash apply. Here's our quick disclaimer. No offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. You've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. We'll be back with a brand new episode, the last one of the season, next Wednesday. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.